2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. joined as always my host, Nick Pilato Tonight we are here to break down something interesting. We wanted to touch on the Giants curse. I call it the Giants curse. The curse of the third round pick. Why has it been so elusive for the Giants? Now, I want to make it clear here before we dive into anything, Nick. Third round picks are busts across the NFL in a lot of spots. This is not around as... It's very fun for us to kind of speculate on players to get in this round. It feels like a great value round, but ultimately, a lot of these guys do end up busting, but not to the extent of what has happened with the Giants. I mean, they have had a murderer's row of busts in the third round, dating all the way back to 2008 when they selected Mario Manningham, the last third round pick that worked out for them, the last one to get a second contract. Or, no, he didn't get a second contract with the Giants. What am I saying? But the last one to work out, quote unquote, for the Giants was Mario Manningham. And so we want to figure out why these picks have bust. So we're going to go into each pick and break down why each busted. Wanted to take a look at what positions they took to see if there's kind of a trend in what positions busted for the Giants in the third round. And then we're going to offer guys that we would draft in the third round that could hopefully break this mold. Now, there will be different games to mention in the third round for us in this class. It will not only be the safe guys, the safer type prospects. It's also going to be guys that have upside, but also a floor, but can break the mold if they hit their upside. So want to get into all of that, Nick. But first, I want to see how you're doing today. And, and if you have any initial thought on why
1: the Giants are so cursed in the third round. Hey, guys, I'm doing well today. And I don't know, man, it hasn't been all that pretty with third round picks for the New York Giants in recent memory. I will say this, in 2018, the last time the Giants had two third-round picks, same as this year, I think both of those were, I I don't want to say hits because they're no longer on the New York Giants, but both of them were good football players that it just didn't work out here in New York. And that was, of course, B.J. Hill out of North Carolina State and Lorenzo Carter out of Georgia. I think both of those guys were quality assets. And if you go through this list dating back from a while, there are some freak injuries and just freaky stuff that happened that just derailed these poor players careers
2: and they also had another third round pick in that class so wasn't a perfect no but i i feel like you can say carter was not a bust but not but close borderline obviously injuries play a role in that but not the full story, and Hill is not a bust. Hill is a good pick who just got a second contract from the Bengals that they're super happy about, and he is an ascending player who had a really good year for them. I think most would call it a career year, despite having five-and-a-half sacks as a rookie for the Giants. They would call this a career year. He came up in big spots for the Bengals during their Super Bowl run.
1: I have an interesting exercise then, okay? And I I like B.J. Hill a lot, but for the New York Giants right now, if you could take one of those players on a one-year deal, who would it be? Same price bj hill or who lorenzo carter
2: uh it's a good question i think i would actually take bj hill
1: yeah i would go lorenzo carter in that situation I, I think there's just so much more that we haven't seen with carter and that's not even fact like i'm trying to even take out the positional need from the new york giants i think even right. without that with all things considered all things equal i think i'd still lean carter
2: I just wanted to I felt like we were gonna get to see more of BJ Hill last year before they traded him. And I was excited to see BJ Hill with more snaps. And that was obviously something we didn't get to see. The Bengals got fans got to see it themselves. But I always felt like when I watched BJ Hill on film in the seasons before the Giants traded him, that he was winning his one on one battles way more often than he was getting credit for or than people were noticing. And I felt like if he just got more snaps, he could be an asset for the Giants, a much bigger asset than people realize. Obviously, that was realized for Cincinnati. The Giants in return got Billy Price, who they have shown no interest in re-signing. and looks like a one-and-done with the Giants. One horrific year with the team and done. Uh, So that was just another mistake. Dave Gettleman, just unbelievable to have that. It's hard to even think about how bad of a job he did because it was just so consistent and just so many little incidents like this one. But it is what it is. Maybe the Giants weren't going to be able to re-sign Hill anyway because of their ridiculously horrific cap situation got guy only put them in as well but let's go over these third round picks let's 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 date it all the way back to the last successful year which was 2008 when they did get Manningham so i want to start in 2009 these were obviously former general manager Jerry Reese they've had two general managers over this span of failed third round picks for the Giants um and they've both kind of had struggled with 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 figuring out how to get this round right so the first year they went wide receiver and tight end they had two third round picks they went with Ramsey's Barden and Travis Beckham out of my alma mater, Wisconsin. This was 2009. So this was only two years after, or this was during the time that I, that I was at Wisconsin as a student. So I actually knew Travis Beckham, met him a few times and watched him play at Wisconsin. And I'll be honest, Nick, I was insanely excited when the giants drafted him.
1: I was just about to ask that. That was literally my next question.
2: He was one of the most (laughs) dominant players I've seen in the Big Ten history. I'll be completely honest. He was a total mismatch. Now, again, what we ultimately realized was he didn't translate to the next level from a rejection standpoint. He, like Ingram, couldn't block and couldn't be lined up at the end of the line of scrimmage. But unlike Ingram, he ran good routes and he had receiving skills. The problem is... When you can't do both things, you are a limited player. You tip off the defense and it's hard to put you anywhere. In my opinion, it's hard to line you up anywhere where you're not a total liability. If you're going to run a run, a run play. And as far as he translating, he just wasn't the mismatch against NFL linebackers that he was against big 10 linebackers. And he didn't benefit from playing in a system like Wisconsin, which was working to his benefit because the run game was everything at Wisconsin, especially back then. And he was open a lot off of play action because the teams that he was facing were committed to stopping the run, and they weren't committed to stopping Travis Beckham, despite the fact that he was the best mismatch on the field for Wisconsin. That wasn't their objective. Their objective was stop this team that's lining up these heavy personnel packages and running the ball down our throats, even though we know they're running it. We have to do everything we can to stop it, and that makes it a little bit easier. That combined with the Big Ten match at the linebacker, uh, sorry, the match against Big Ten linebackers and safeties. And obviously, finally, just the inability to block it all kind of doomed Beckham's career.
1: Yeah, twenty six catches for two hundred and sixty four yards and three touchdowns with the New York Giants, third yes. round pick at pick one hundred. Yep, and and
2: as far as Barden goes, that's another player I was dead wrong on because I watched Barden tear up Wisconsin in the bowl game that the year he played, the year they played. I was like, dude, this is a guy. Look at him; he's like six foot five or six foot six. He could be a total mismatch for the Giants and actually had a few bright spot moments for them but the biggest issue for Barden which to me is a lot of why I tend to struggle sometimes evaluating these types of receivers is he just couldn't beat press coverage at the NFL level and he couldn't get vertical
1: yeah I remember Ramses Barden when I remember he had that game I think it was against Carolina if I'm not that's the game that's one game you look good in (laughs) was it Thursday night football
2: yep Thursday night football against the Panthers I remember that game as well
1: yeah, I actually saw that game, man, and I was like, I think I was out by that point. That might have been like 2012 or 2013. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I remember like being like, "Oh wow, a little bit, a little bit late here." But I remember when the Giants selected him, I was also excited from afar. But when we move on to 2010, this is where it gets a little bit unfortunate for the New York Giants because they select Chad Jones out of LSU, a defensive back at pick 76, and he ends up getting into a car accident right after basically he's drafted and never sees the field for the Giants.
2: Oh my God. Safety Chad Jones at LSU. I love this pick. I thought he was going to be a steal. I thought he had two-way capabilities as a safety. He could play the single high for them if they needed him to. Very excited when they made the pick. And then just a few weeks later, he had that unfortunately unlucky serious car accident that ruined his legs, uh, unfortunately. And he was never able to even pass a physical and just that was that was unfortunate for the giants so now the busts have been a wide receiver a tight end and a safety We move on to 2011. My God, I think everyone who was following the draft in depth at this point knew this was going to be a very high chance of busting this pick. I hated the pick at the time versus these first three that I liked at the time. And it's so much easier to like a pick than hate a pick, especially back then when I wasn't really studying the draft as much, Nick, because I would just listen to Jerry Reese and Mark Ross in their post-draft pressers, and they would wax poetic about these guys. And it's not just that they're waxing poetic with like typical fluff that you would hear nick like coach speak or whatnot or players saying he's the lebron james of the defense remember when um banks or whatever that dude's name was from who the or carter i think his name is whatever the corner they had from georgia the year they drafted lorenzo carter who ended up ended up getting cut by the giants um but said lorenzo carter was the lebron james of the defense and like looked like lebron james out there from that athleticism standpoint you know you could always hear that and get excited about that but when you would hear these post draft pressers with Mark Ross and Jerry Reese, they would get in the thick of it. Nick, they would talk about scheme fit. They would talk about little specific nuances and things that they're going to help the help, help he's going to help the Giants with immediately based on the system, based on the scheme. And I'd automatically get convinced about every player with the exception of very few. Jarrell Jernigan was one of the few because I did not see, like what I saw when I watched his college film. I didn't think he had elite level athleticism, speed, which is exactly what he needed because. He was a smaller player and I didn't like the fact that the giants like were like, there was somebody who came out. It was either Mara Nick. I can't remember at the time, but it might've been all the way up to Mara or is the, or is Jerry Reese um, who was like, we really, really need a special teams boost. Like, trust me, we've been watching the giants for a while. Now, one thing we've been missing big time is this return man. And so it's like, when you do that and you're like, Oh, we need this return man. And you're prioritizing a return man in round three. I just, It's just not something I'm ever going to get on board with.
1: I should have just brought Dominic Hickson back. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Just return, man. Like, the return game is so dead in the NFL anyway due to the rules. Like, don't worry about – just draft the receiver and then worry about your return game by getting somebody who's a receiver
1: first. No, I know. And you brought up the LeBron James of defense for Lorenzo Carter. Well, I remember the JPP of tight end, which was a fourth round pick in the 2012 draft, Adrian Robinson. But the player who was selected by the Giants before that was Jerron Hosley. And you know what, Dan, I was not a big Jerron Hosley fan. And I'm not talking about his college films. I didn't get to watch his college film in 2012. But when he was a New York Giant, you can ask my brother and people who are friends with me. Nick Falotto was not a big Jerron Hosley guy. <laughs> Why not? I just didn't think he was good. Yeah, he got <laughs> beat, like, right. He wasn't good. Like,
2: he immediately was getting beat <laughs> the first training camp, preseason, and then when he actually, like, in the times he played. He's just immediately beat. It's just one of those, like, uh, he can't cover out there. It's like, what, what happened here? He's like, the whole thing during the draft was like, oh, wow, the Giants might have got a steal. The only reason he dropped was because of the marijuana issues and the off-field stuff. Then it's like, no, wait, this guy isn't a steal. He somehow can't cover. So he has the off-field stuff. He's probably not motivated,
1: and he can't cover. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. Uh, going against Geronho. Then he was small too, if I'm not mistaken too. And he was so smaller. Were, yeah. So yeah, at this were... point from 29
2: through 2012, we've had two busts at receiver, a bust at tight end that I think you can just consider a receiver. So pretty much three receivers. That's Travis Beckham, a safety, This doesn't really count, but we'll count it because it was because it was the weird injury and then a corner. Then in 2013, they took a player who I was very, very excited about them drafting at the time and just totally missed on. And I feel like when you see him flash, you're like, see, this is why I was excited about this player. He has insane. He is like freaking like top 25 level overall talent when he hits his upside. But he just hits it so rarely and hit it so rarely. And that was edged of Montre Moore.
1: Yeah, dude, I liked Demontre Moore a lot when he was at college in Texas A&M, and he was very, very productive, but there was always the character concerns about him, and that's something that we can't really necessarily weigh in on, but wasn't he released from the Giants because he didn't get, like, uh, a giveaway or something like that, and he ended up getting into a fight with one of the defensive tackles, and that's ultimately why he was released? (laughs) All field reasons
2: were the reason he was released, Correct.
1: But, dude, this is somebody who was really long, bro. He had good size. You could slap the tweener label on him, but he was perfect for, like, a four-down defensive end front. He had definitely could convert speed to power. He was very, very explosive. I liked him coming out of the draft, too. It just didn't work out, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, I don't think talent was the issue there. And then we get to 2014. Huh. This was the most obvious bust pick in the history of my Giants fanhood. I remember it at the time. My dad was all over this. My dad couldn't have been more angry at this pick. And it was just so classic giants during the Reese Coughlin era. It was by the time Coughlin was starting to lose it and he was having a huge say over the drafts. And obviously Coughlin is a Syracuse guy and he saw some kid from Syracuse who grew up in the Bronx. I believe it was the Bronx or somewhere in New York. Tough kid went through a hard time. Took a, took, took, I remember reading an article about how he takes the subway two 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 and a half hours every day to get to school and then practice and this and that. He's such a good hard worker, such a good kid. Jay Bromley, the defensive tackle out of Syracuse, everyone, and I mean everyone who does this for a living, had a fifth-round grade or worse on him, and the Giants took him in the third round. Everyone had a fifth-round grade or worse than him. You couldn't find a single person who had a 3rd day-two grade on this guy, and he was with the Giants for four years, started four total games, had two total sacks, seven total tackles, played a couple games for the Saints in 2018, and that was the end of his career, just Epic bust, an epic bust pick by the Giants. You knew it at the time. Coughlin loved the kid because he was tough, hard worker, who went to Syracuse, his alma mater. Just a disaster pick altogether for the Giants there.
1: Dude, I remember where I was. I was at my brother's house watching the draft. We would have draft parties on Thursday night and then Friday for the Love second. We, we stand up, we get all hyped up, you know? And I remember when they announced Jay Bromley, defensive tackle, Syracuse. Steve and I looked at each other and we were like, who <laughs> no one knew yeah. like you gotta be kidding me we were like so upset about it, it Was before i was like involved in and in doing draft like such an upset but yeah that was that was ridiculous and then 2015 third round another guy who had a lot of upside who had some solid college tape but injuries plagued his past that ended up bleeding into his professional career and that was oa Adigazua out of ucla and i should have allowed you to pronounce that because i think it would have been funny
2: it would have been funny, but this was another one. The total flip side of the Bromley pick. The Bromley pick was like, I know this is going to be a disaster at the time. The Oa pick, I was like, yes, we got Oa. What a steal. This guy should have won 30 picks earlier. It's similar to how I felt about Carter when the Giants got Lorenzo Carter in 2018. I felt like they were getting a prospect who was 30 picks better than where he was taken. Now, he did have the hip issue, and I don't think he was really ever the same athlete since that. And then the injuries kept propping up and he had mental issues that's what happened it's another off field situation with the giants here with oa similar to the Demontre Moore, similar to the j ron hosley the players we've gone over in the past um in these third round busts this was 2015 though and he just had some remember he had that weird like social media post where he's like thinking something weird was going on there and then they just caught him
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate
1: Yeah that's, yeah, that's that's unfortunate for for him. Hopefully he's okay. And then for the New York Giants and, and everybody involved. But I hope he's okay. I mean, his brother is now in the NFL with the Cowboys, and he's a pretty solid player, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, and he had some good film too. So I, I was wrong about Oa. Oh, uh, we got to 2016, and it's another pick I was wrong on, Nick. I was very excited about this pick as well. And I tend to get overly excited, I've learned, about safeties with single high possibilities. I don't know what it is, Nick, but I'm so interested in finding these unicorns. They're so rare. They're mostly always busts. I remember I was excited about the kid two years ago from the Jets, Ashton Davis, who hasn't been that good yet. I tend to get overly excited about these single high potential safeties who can play the deep half. In, and I notice they bust a lot more, but I still think I'm chasing that high, Nick, and I'll continue to chase that high because when they hit like Xavier McKinney, it's so sweet. And this is Darian Thompson, the safety, I believe now I'm forgetting he was packed. twelve. where was, where did he play again? Boise State. Was that even Pac-12 at the time? Is it even Pac-12 now? I don't know. It's not. It's the answer, I, know. I do know. <laughs> but <laughs> he played out West is, is what I remember. And I got really excited about Darian Thompson, and he just sucked for the Giants. I remember the thing just dis- was disappointed me the most about Darian Thompson, that I didn't take seriously during his draft evaluation process, but is so the reason why he sucked for the Giants. He was arguably the worst third-level tackler I've ever seen play for the Giants in the history <laughs> of the franchise. He was such a disastrous liability at the third level. And there were so many runs back in those days because he was the 2016 draft pick and he hung around for the, that next like two-ish years, whatever it was. I believe he, he, he hung around till tw- the end of 2017 then the Cowboys claimed him in 2018. But that 2016-2017 transition, I mean, besides 2016, is not a good example because he didn't really play all that much, I believe. I think it was... 2017 where he played that 2017 season was such a bad defensive season by the giants. I remember seeing him on the field, just making mistakes uh, at the third level as a tackler.
1: Yeah, I remember that too, unfortunately. He was somebody that I also liked because of the single high ability, the range. He had a couple interceptions at Boise that were really, really impressive where he clicked and closed downhill, drove on these slant routes that were going underneath vertical routes, but he read the concept and reacted well. But you're right in terms of the tackling at that third level in just open space. He was just a missed tackle waiting to happen. Always would leave his feet, duck his head and just not finish strong at all. It was a very poor framing of a tackle by a safety. And that's one of the pertinent things that safeties have to do is tackle. You're the last line of defense.
2: No, he has weirdly been able to resurrect his career a little bit. Um, with the Cowboys. And then I think he got signed this all season. I think it was by the saints. Maybe he got claimed by, I know a team got him though. So he's kind of like hanging around a little bit, hanging around as KGB would say, as Teddy KGB might say, but that reference might've went over your head. Unfortunately.
1: Oh, it absolutely did. Who the hell's Teddy KGB.
2: So God damn it, Nick, this is one of my biggest regrets. I When we used to hang out, I was trying to get Nick to watch rounders, which is one of the best movies of Uh all time. Matt Damon, uh, edward norton and then obviously who plays teddy KGB, and why am i forgetting this actor's name john malkovich who plays teddy ggb with a russian right. accent that he that i read like uh you know i've read some stuff about the stuff that went on during the set and at the time they're like yeah he came to the set with this random russian accent and it was ridiculous and it didn't sound good at all but we're like this is too unique and funny we have to let this go and it was a total success i mean there's also um Totoro's in that movie. John Totoro. This is just a star-studded cast. Incredible plot. Incredible movie. You need to see it at some point. You really
1: do. But anyway,
2: it's a little rounders reference. I'll make I'll make those uh from time to time here.
1: I'm actually planning on watching rounders. I think I saw it on, on, okay. on demand or something. So I'm gonna let you know about that. Let me but know. Then, let's go to 2017. And this is somebody who's back with the New York Giants, baby. Somebody who is back, and that is Davis Webb, quarterback. Out of Cal, I remember where I was when when the Giants selected him. I was doing an inside the pylon. This was my first year starting to cover like the the draft. I was on a live stream with Mark Schofield and a bunch of other guys at inside the pylon, and I remember we it was for day two. Giants like the Dalvin Tomlinson. I was like, okay, nice, yo, know, Dalvin Tomlinson, cool. I saw him down at the Senior Bowl. He's a nice guy. And then Davis Webb in the third round, and I was like, please don't tell me it was Davis Webb. And I was like, ah, and I just did not love the pick because I felt like the Giants were not as complete of a roster as they thought they were at. At the time The And Davis Webb also was somebody who was at Texas Tech, ended up transferring because he got replaced by somebody who um, was pretty good. Who was that? Mm, yeah, Patrick Mahomes. <laughs>
2: yep. And this was the class where, look, he could have saved everything, his reputation, what he gave to the team, the Giants franchise over these last dreadful five or so years since then, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 20, so four years. Sorry, that was bad radio, but I had to do the math in my head and out loud. And the last four years would have been so different. The next five years would have been so different. The next decade, I could say up to at least, would have been so different if Benny McAdoo, who was in the mood to scout quarterbacks in that class, he knew. He knew before anyone in that Giants franchise. You know, we look back at the McAdoo years, and some people view them as the worst of the last three, the Shermer-McAdoo-Judge combo. I don't know about that, because McAdoo at least had an offense that occasionally moved the ball. He took them to the playoffs one year which none of these other guys can even say they had a winning season. They had 11 win season in their And more importantly, he saw the Eli demise before anyone in that franchise organization saw. And he knew, even back in 2017, that he needed to move on from Eli Fat sooner than Mara or, any, or Reese or any of these guys wanted to. And he was scouting heavily, and he loved Patrick Mahomes, according to the rumor and the reports, that I believe, to be completely honest. And he wanted the Giants to potentially trade up from where they picked, which they ultimately landed on Evan Ingram disaster to trade up for Mahomes. And if he had gotten his way, my God, we would have had such a different last few years covering this team and next few years, but we didn't. Instead he got probably who was like another guy he liked, Davis Webb in round three. I remember Webb got the, do you remember this Nick? He got the Jacob Eisen treatment. He got the uh, Ryan Nassib treatment. If you want to go that far back and that's the guy who during every pre-draft process you get the rumor, you get the report, maybe from one source, maybe from two. I do. Remember. I think I think we're hearing Ryan Massim could go in the first round. We're hearing Jacob Eason could go in the first round. We're hearing Davis Webb could go in the first round. No, these guys never go in the first round because they freaking stink. And then they get drafted in the fourth and they suck there too. So no, Davis Webb was not a first round pick. Who's that this year? This year, that's not happening as much, I feel like.
1: Well, no, because the quarterbacks are all kind of yeah. bad, but I'm wondering yeah. if one of the top five quarterbacks ends up being that, like a Sam Howell or something. Right. It
2: might be, but we haven't seen it yet. This guy's done it and we're hearing rumors. Some teams really likes him at the back end of that first round. And these guys never go there. And Davis Webb, obviously he's back with the Giants now, but like I don't think it's great that he was considering going into coaching already. Like <laughs> I just don't know if that's like a great thing. He's got some arm talent, I guess. Um, man, did that guy, when he was with the Giants, man, did that guy love to throw the ball up. And it didn't even, he was, he was the most effort. I'm going to throw it long type of quarterback I've ever seen on the Giants in the history of this franchise from my time watching this team. And it obviously didn't go very well with the Giants. That style wasn't working back then. Um, I don't know if it's going to work now, but we'll see what happens with Davis Webb Cause right now he's on the roster and he's, you be three at the moment. So not a total bust, I guess, yet. You can't fully say he's a bust.
1: Well, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess not. I mean, that would be wild if he resurrected his career. That would be like a um, Nick Foles on steroids type of situation. Well, Nick Foles would be the one on steroids because Nick Foles, remember, he almost retired. Right. And he said that he almost retired Then he goes and does what he does. Imagine if Davis Webb does something similar, that would, uh, I'd invite it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'll take anyone who's going to win the Super Bowl for the Giants. doesn't matter who, I don't care how fake it is. And then trade his ass, but, um, let's go on. We did 2018, but I do want to talk about one player. We didn't talk about as much in 2018 besides Carter and Hill, which was obviously their best draft for third round picks this 2018. Not that that's, it was a good draft for it. Cause none of them are still with the team but it was a good draft in the sense that the bar is set so low based on all the ones we just went over. And that's Sam Beal, who I think is a really good microcosm of everything that was wrong with Dave Dave Dettelman as a general manager. He comes in 2018, his first year, and he's already in we-can-win-a-Super Bowl-now mode with a roster that simply couldn't win a Super Bowl. And it should have been obvious to him. They just came off one of the biggest collapses in franchise history in 2017. It's not a good time to go for the Super Bowl. And so he said, we need cornerback help convinced himself on Sam Beal, used a third-round supplemental pick that ended up being a top 65 pick, I believe it was, because they had, like, the third pick of the supplemental draft. It ended up being their 2019 pick, whatever, but it was used in 2018. And this was a guy who had injury concerns coming out of college, played at a low level, and didn't have, ultimately, the the frame that could translate to the next level in my mind. Yes, he was long, which you want, but he was frail as hell, and it showed up, and he's just a total bust of a draft pick, Sam Beal. For the Giants. And it was just so much that was wrong with what Dave Gettleman was. He was a see him get him type GM. He, he, he oh, they fell in love with Beal, but not because they probably even loved Beale. It's because they loved, they needed a court. They felt like they really
1: needed a cornerback and they convinced themselves on Beale. And so that was another total bust in the third round. Yeah, that one's upsetting. I think a lot of it also, to be fair, had something to do with the fact that James Betcher was probably begging to get some sort of cornerback help because he liked to run a lot of pattern match, a lot of man coverage, and Sam Beal theoretically fit that, but you just don't make that decision on somebody who has coming off of shoulder surgery who weighs like hundred and like seventy-five pounds. He was like the, the bad Devonta Smith of cornerbacks. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a good way to describe it, the bad Devonta Smith of cornerbacks. I like that. All right, let's move on to 2019. Um, they make the trade the giants they don't have a third round pick and they get one back via trading odell Beckham jr they use that pick on O'Shane Zimenez, the edge out of odu who had 14 sacks i believe in his last year at odu and came in with advanced hand usage a pass rushing plan but not all that much athleticism that can translate to the next level and liability as a run setting uh, as a run as an edge setting run defender so far i would say he's been a bust i want to get your take
1: on that yeah, I would definitely say that he would be a bust. I mean, it's, it's hard because third round picks, I mean, you want them to hit. Generally, third rounders are trying to find somebody who is going to start for you within the next two years. Well, we're two years removed from this draft selection and Zimenez is not a starter and he's, to me, and even last year, he was a fringe, like maybe he's the 50th or 51st prospect who's going to make this team. The Giants are kind of deficient in terms of edge depth. So I think that's helped him out and that might help him out again. But if the Giants let him go, I'm not going to be like, oh, wow, I wonder why they did that. Like, I understand why, because he hasn't had a huge impact with the team. He can't defend the run. He's a liability out there. I think he's quick. And like you said, I like his hand usage. I think he showed some promise in 2019, but it's been all downhill, unfortunately, since that.
2: Yeah, greedy He did show some promise in 2019, which is probably the most disappointing part. But now new up new defensive system, new regime that obviously hasn't, you know, doesn't have any prior ties to this player. And just like you said, the liability against the run mean that he's going to have a tough time making this roster. He's going to be one of those guys who's on the bubble and has to have a big training camp. But ultimately, that projects as another bust. And then we get to 2020. I wasn't really high on the Ziminen's pick, but I was really high on the 2020 pick. And that's Matt Parrott, the offensive tackle prospect out of UConn. I just loved that style of player. I loved the way his frame looked. I loved his length. I loved his athleticism. And I thought that he had more power than expected for somebody who was looking, you know, more like a tight end than anything when you saw him at the combine. For me, I'm perfectly fine busting on this pick. I'll be honest. This is the one I'm most fine with because... Offensive tackles are hard to hit outside of the first round, outside of really the top 30, maybe 50, I'd say. I don't have a clear-cut answer on this. I haven't done the study, but just from, you know, the stuff that I've that I've looked at and everything like that in recent, you know, history, when you go outside the top 50, it's, it's, a, it's a risk anyway, and it's just this, it's just another dart throw for the most part. So I'm okay with him busting, but it does get – you do get the feel early on, like, if it was going to click for Parrot, it would have clicked already.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, and I mean the injury is going to, you know, stymie any progress that he might have, and I just kind of wish. He had more dog in him, and I think that's a big indictment of him as a player if what the previous coaching staff suggests is true, that he doesn't have that, I want to be great. He's totally content with having Nate Solder be the starter over him. Anybody who you think would thrive on the offensive line would be like, no, I'm better than him, and I'll prove that. This guy's like freaking 45 years old, you know what I mean? And that didn't happen, at least by reports it didn't happen, and that's a little bit unfortunate because I feel like he has a lot of athletic ability and the necessary length to be great. Yeah, exactly. And look, we can't speak to that because we're not in the locker room
2: every day or anything like that. But it is weird to me that the Giants couldn't – the past regime couldn't figure that out during the pre-draft process. Like how much time yeah. – and I know that was the COVID year. But it's like how much time are they spending with these guys that they can't – like you should be able to figure that out. At least not – and if not even from talking to these guys, maybe just from watching the film.
1: No, I know. I know. I think it would, would be from talking to them too and getting them on the practice field. But it's unfortunate, dude. It It, it stinks. But dude, there is um. So Aaron Robinson, it's out. You know, twenty twenty one. It's a little bit out on that. But if we go it's back too to early yourself, on that. Yeah, and I like what I've seen to be honest. But we Me go too. back, Dan. There's some. There's some interesting picks to be honest. If we go back to nineteen ninety one, Ed McCaffrey, wide receiver. I think he has a son that's pretty good at football, if I'm not mistaken. If we go back to, I believe it's nineteen ninety nine, Dan Campbell, tight end, third round pick for the New York Giants, has this insatiable necessity to just chomp and eat these kneecaps, supposedly. And then we also had Vasantashenko in 2003, tight end. I think he's known for something else other than just being a tight end in the National Football League. I could be wrong there. And then obviously 2005, <laughs> yes. Justin Tuck, baby. Justin Tuck. Gotta love that pick.
2: Yeah, the, the olden days were the glory days when it comes to the third round picks. But let's push this forward. Let's take a look now. So ultimately the heavy... Heavy uh, usage of these picks was on skill players from corners to safeties to receivers. But there were some busts on the interior defensive line as well. Or I'm sorry, on the defensive line as well with edges from Carter to OA and then Effort to Moore to, and then Bromley. So you're looking at edge busts and then Simon ends. Looking at edge busts, corners, and receivers at the bulk of this. Does that impact your decision at all moving forward for how you want to use these picks? It doesn't impact mine. I think it's more based on just the players. And my other question to you would be, as we move this forward, looking at 2020 draft 2022 draft, I should say, who are some guys that you're interested in the Giants selecting with their third-round picks that can break this mold? How do we break this curse? Who are the guys
1: that do it? So I'm not going to look at the past and be like, oh, well, we took a safety and he didn't work out. so we can-. No, I'm not doing that. It's all about the player. We're in the here and now. So I have shared that same opinion with you. The Giants have two third-round picks right now. I'm looking at these linebackers, bro, because the Giants do need linebacker. I don't think they're going to spend a, a second-round pick on them. I think there's a chance they could, but I don't think they'll use a first-round pick on them. And if you look at the linebacker position, there's a lot of talent in the linebacker position. And the one name that really sticks out to me, I don't think Quay Walker from Georgia will be available, but if he was, obviously I just, I just don't think he's going to be available, but Chad Muma from Wyoming, I think yeah. he could be available. And he's a name that really kind of sticks out to me that I feel like could be there for the giants. First third round selection. I think he could buck the trend. He's somebody from what I've seen. He has good range. I don't think he's the, athlete of a quay walker but he's athletic enough he's very functional he can drop into coverage he's good coming forward between the sea gap and the sea gap he's very very good at terms of reading the blocks and reacting and coming downhill and bringing a level of physicality to the second level of a defense so we can go position by position I'll just name one name and then I'll have you go obviously we love Leo Chanel so I'm not even going to bring him up but Chad Muma is a name that I feel like we should be aware of
2: I really like this idea. I like Muma a lot. I like Chanel a lot. And I think the Giants haven't invested in these off-ball linebackers, and it's haunted them. And it's time to infuse the position with some talent. And this is a good range for this group in this class. So why not take a chance here? It's not like they have examples of them busting in the past. This is a position they haven't tried in the third round. And it could be could lead to basically what they got out of um, Tay Crowder over these last two seasons, assuming you you don't want – to base it on last season when Blake Martinez was hurt, but maybe one of these guys can turn into a Blake Martinez uh, 2020 or, you know, Tate Crowder 2021 type role, but you get that, but a better player because Tate Crowder was not good at all, and he really struggled, and it's not his fault. He was you know, the seventh round pick, but you're getting a much better talent here in either of those two players. I'd even throw Troy Anderson into the mix out of Montana state. I haven't seen too much, but from what I've seen, I really like the way he moves. And I think that he has traits that
1: translate to the next level. I'd be happy really with any of those three guys at the position. So Troy Anderson, I was just about to bring his name up. So excellent job. And also Channing Tindall from Georgia. Yes. Another one. Yeah, and guess you, what?
2: A player who I haven't seen much, who people like, and I'm curious to get your take on, if you've seen him, because I haven't seen much at all, is Brian Asamoah at Oklahoma. What are your thoughts on him?
1: Ah, See, I like Asamoah's movement skills, but, dude, if uh, offensive lineman gets up to the second level, bye. Like yeah. I've seen that dude get driven 20 yards <laughs> off the ball. I don't before. like that. Just too light? Um, Again, he's playing in the Big 12, so you know yeah. a lot of those offenses, they, they create – they create opportunities for those offensive linemen to climb to the second level and locate. I feel like when he was fully in tune and knew what was going on, he had a quick trigger downhill that I love to see. But if he struggled for a second and if he paused for a second and he allowed those offensive linemen to climb, he wasn't great at avoiding those blocks unless he went around them, but don't ask him to stack and shed. And I think that's a little bit of uh could be a vulnerable, big vulnerability at the next level. Big vulnerability. vulnerability.
2: You can't sack and shed at the big 12 level. You're not going to be able to at the NFL level in my mind. And I i have read concerns about him being a little too light also, at least translating the next level. So let's throw him off this for now.
1: But, but if we're talking about 81, I, I think it's something to be entertained because he is a phenomenal athlete. He's great coming downhill. I think he can offer a lot of different things. It's just – I don't consider him in the Quay Walker, the Chad Muma, the Leo Chanel, the Troy Anderson. I have him like a tier below. I don't even know if I would consider him like with the JoJo Doman, who is more of a, he's out of Nebraska. He's like an apex defender, overhang type of linebacker who's similar in the sense that he's like, you know, 230 pounds ish, but you can put him into your nickel, big nickel type of package and he can kind of just be like a big safety. Now I wouldn't trust him with single high responsibilities or anything like that, but he used to be a safety translated or transferred into a linebacker at Nebraska. And he's another one of those interesting players around pick 81, but I would put Osamoah in that category with him rather than some of these other top dudes.
2: And that's fair, completely fair. I think another position where the giants can find a few players that can return value in the third round and break this third round curse in this specific class, obviously is the interior offensive line. I think there's a few people that stand out to me that could be available in this range. Dylan Parham out of Memphis, and I want to get your take on all of them. I'll throw them all out there now, and you could go one by one if you want. Darian Canard of Kentucky. Cole Strange out of Chattanooga. And for me, I know it's a bit of a reach in some people's mind, but I just don't see it as that. And that's Luke Fortner out of Kentucky.
1: Yeah. I had a second round grade on Fortner back in January. <laughs> so, so you don't see that
2: as a reach either. No,
1: no. I, I like Fortner. I think he's a high floor player and somebody who I love
2: his length, man.
1: Yeah. He's going to be a starter for, for a while in the league. Dylan Parham. I love that call too. And there's another player that I, I haven't seen yet. The UCLA lineman, Sean Ryan, I've heard great things about him. I haven't got my eyes on him, so hopefully soon I'll I'll be able to talk about him. But I love the Parham call. I think Kennard definitely as a guard to kick him inside. I still think there's technical work that needs to be done, but when you're that big and you're that powerful and you don't put him on an island, I feel like technique-wise he can develop into a solid starting guard getting that in the third round, I will sign up for that any day. Cole Strange, I also like, really, really big type of center in terms of height. I liked him down at the senior bowl. I feel like he's one of the favorite sleepers in this draft class. Third round might be a little rich for me. I think I would prefer yeah. some of these other guys we're going over, like the parums and maybe even Ed Ingram if, if his, if his character stuff checks out, cause I know he had some character stuff at LSU, but from a tape perspective, I feel like he was another solid option that can be had probably around pick 81 who can upgrade an interior offensive line room.
2: And what about, let me get your take at either 81 or uh, 67 uh, for Zach Tom, but kicking Tom inside to an interior because I think actually think that's where he's going to be at his best at the NFL level.
1: Yeah, again, I think this is an eighty-one. I think a lot of these guys yeah. aren't eighty-ones to be honest. But okay. I love Zach Tom. I loved his tape. I felt like he did a better job against Jermaine Johnson than even Ikemi Kwanu did. Wow. And that, it, I mean, it just the film says that when you watch yep. both of their tape. I mean, he, he really didn't have many mistakes against Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson's a much longer player, but Tom he really is crafty with how he makes up for his lack of elite length. He's not totally deficient in length. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't think he's in like the first percentile for offensive tackles, but he doesn't have long arms, but he has big mittens, man. And he's, I, I think I heard Ben Fennel classify him this way. And it was one of the best ways I ever heard somebody classify Zach Tom. It's so spot on. He's boring. He's boring, <laughs> but he's a <laughs> That's
2: deco- great. Bro. You, you yeah. love boring from an offensive lineman.
1: Exactly, man. He just knows what he's doing with his hands. He's excellent at framing his blocks. He's a balanced player, plays with a low center of gravity. And again, he's crafty with how he engages these long arm type of pass rushers who can use their length to dictate the point of attack. I remember against Jermaine Johnson, Jermaine Johnson would hit him with his long arm. He would use his inside arm, so his close arm to Jermaine Johnson and kind of fit it underneath Jermaine Johnson's Johnson's armpit and then kind of twist it's kind of like he was holding but you didn't see any holding because it's like underneath Jermaine Johnson's arm and and he has the core strength and the grip strength because he has a gigantic hand Zach Tom that is to kind of hold him in place and then just kind of keep his feet in front of Jermaine Johnson and just keep him there and I felt like he did that several times making up for that lack of length so I really like the Zach Tom call probably a little bit more around 81 you kick him inside I think he could be a really solid pro.
2: Okay. Name a few other guys that you have in mind that could break the curse for the Giants at 67 or 81, and then I'll get to some of mine. I feel like those for me would be the two positions where the best value is going to be, or where there was going to be the most of what, you know, can be considered a value, you know, potential curse breaking pick, but there's definitely some other players that I'm interested with these picks that I think can do it. Um, that I think will also be there. So let me let you, uh, name a few first and then I'll get into mine
1: Yeah, so I think you can go to the tight end position and look at it and you can entertain some of those guys. But I even think you can wait a little bit for the Jake Ferguson's of the world and the Charlie Kohlers but I go to the wide receiver position now the Giants might not select a wide receiver at 36 but they could certainly use one of those two third round picks at wide receiver and I look at John Mechie man out of Alabama co- recovering from an ACL injury I think he could be a solid option for one of those two third round picks Calvin Austin now he's like five foot seven so it's a little bit more of a niche type of pick but dude you watch him bro he's going up making contested catches over dudes who are like six foot like I don't know I feel like he's more special than than, than a lot of people are acknowledging Even know people are talking about him Khalil Shakur out of Boise State is another one that I like in terms of route running not necessarily dynamic but just a good all-around football player and then Alec Pierce at of Cincinnati who is a really really I would say high-end type of athlete who can be a big slot and have an impact at probably a round pick and probably in between the Giants two third round picks will probably be selected
2: yeah first one that comes to mind for me is Alec Pierce I think Alec Pierce has the best chance in this range to be one of the best players in this class and that just means obviously that's just the ceiling that doesn't factor in the floor which is possible I mean there's a chance that he's just never able to kind of throttle down on those those deep in breakers or beat press coverage on the outside but I actually am taking a bet that he will be able to do those things from what I've seen on his tape and if you look at the good stuff with Pierce it's unbelievable to me Um, I think he could be an absolute steal. I would love if the Giants took him at either of these picks, 67 or 81, because I think he's one of the best values and best – upside plays at this pick i also want to put kirby joseph in this the safety out of illinois late bloomer wasn't even on draft boards before this last season i talked to my friend ian gold who's a big time illinois fan like deep 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 into this stuff with the film and everything and he talked about how he came out of nowhere but man oh man once he got out of that lovey smith defense because it's hard to break out in the lovey smith defense as a safety in my mind you're playing that too high look the entire time but Kirby Joseph showed incredible range and the ability to play single high and the ability to play the deep half during just his one breakout season with Illinois. And I think out of all the safeties, he's the most likely to still be there at this pick. And he's somebody who I'm definitely interested in taking. He would be my next guy after, um, you know, a lot of the guys you already named and Alec Pierce.
1: Some more picks that I kind of want to go over. And I like that call about Joseph. I haven't seen his film, but I've heard good things. And I know you've talked a lot about him. I think Tariq Wolin at UTSA, don't think he'll be available for that first pick in the third round. But if he is, he's an interesting developmental, long, fluid type of cornerback who's coming from a smaller level of competition, but has a lot of upside. If you want to take on maybe, I don't want to call him a project, but somewhat of a raw player who doesn't necessarily have, you know, power five type of game in, game out type of film on his background. I think he is an interesting one to go over. And then edge, just in case the Giants don't go edge until the third round. I like Drake Jackson at a USC. do I like that call. Yeah, just in terms of finesse, man. Just I, really a like ton that of I think of that finesse. people
2: are gonna like I think the NFL is gonna like Drake Jackson more than the mocks. That's one of my that's a call I'll throw out there that I think is gonna be the case.
1: I mean, dude, he can bend. He and, and, and again, he's somebody it's who bad. has like
2: a, It's the traits.
1: It's the traits, and it's also the fact that he's played at like two sixty-five and also like two forty. Like he he's very his weight fluctuates depending on what the defense wants to do with him. So you can do a lot of different things with him. And if you watch him in his combine drills and even on his tape, you can see when he is in space, he's very, very fluid. Like if you want him to do that, he can do that. I think in the third round, that's an excellent value pick with high upside.
2: I like that call a lot. And we haven't talked much about Drake Jackson out of USC, but I really think he could ultimately end up being a value pick. This is also an area of the draft where I'm going to be interested in potentially taking, this goes along the lines of what you said, um, with Woolen, just a traits-based pick. I like what I have seen from Cordell Flott. And I think that he could be a much better player at the NFL level. That's the corner, the other corner out of LSU. I think, and is that the right way to pronounce his name? Or am I getting so? Yeah, right? yeah. I think he could be inside, he could play slot or outside at the next level. He has versatility. And I just like what I've seen a little bit of him. Uh the little bit that I have seen of him. I want to also throw another name out there as a potential curse breaker. And that's Greg Dolchich, the tight end out of UCLA. I've said before, I prefer to get my tight ends on day three here in this class. But if you're going to take one in the round in one of these two with one of these two round three picks, I want it to be a guy who has traits that to me translate to the next level. I think I have this entire class told this is why he's my tight end one in this. Class, or this is why I ended up going McBride. Or no, I did end up going Dolchich in our tight. And the reason why I went back and forth and went with Dolce is that I believe he has the trait that that has the best chance of translating. And that's his vertical receiving ability and his receiving ability after the catch. More importantly, I've been listening to a lot of smart NFL people talk about how important it is these days to have a tight end who can align as the one in the three by one sets. Because one, a lot of teams are doing it. It gives you it, – it, and, and it's a, it's a, it's the way you're going to see a lot of offenses moving with kind of – and by that, I mean a three-by-one set, three receivers, one tight end. You have three receivers to one side of the field, usually in a bunch, but can be in any kind of formation. And then you have the one tight end on the boundary as the one guy on that side of the line. And why, the reason why teams are using it more and the reason why these people, these smart info people who know a lot more in my mind than me or most of the people I listen to when it comes to football, Nick – They say the reason they're doing it is because it makes things so much easier for the quarterback pre-snap. It's all about the processing for the quarterback. And having that one tight end, it it makes a massive difference for how uh, the quarterback can evaluate how the defenses are going to shift, how the safeties are going to shift, what kind of coverages they're going to play. So right now, the Giants don't have a player who can do that. I honestly don't think Ingram could do that himself either. I never thought Ingram was great when lined up uh, on the boundary. But I think Dolchich has the potential to do that. So I'd be intrigued by him as well.
1: The call of Dolchick, and a lot of teams are doing that, man. We've discussed that on past podcasts. I think the Giants are definitely going to invest in the tight end position. I'm not sure if he'll be in the third round, but if it is in the third round, Dolchick is on my short list as well. All right, anyone else that you think can break this third round curse? I think we went over all the positions. Uh, well, you brought up the safety, Kirby Joes. One more safety I wanted to mention is Nick Cross out of Maryland. And I'm going through Cincinnati's defense right now, and somebody who has popped to me on the film is Brian Cook, who is projected by a lot of draft pundits as somebody who will probably be around the third round. So that's another name to monitor. I haven't done enough to feel very comfortable giving an evaluation on Brian Cook, but from what I've seen while watching Sauce Gardner, I've seen him fly around the field making a couple of nice – hits, plays, diagnosing route combinations, putting himself into a position to have success. Nice.
2: I like it. They must be doing something right up in Cincinnati. They're getting a lot of of mileage out of those corners up there. All right, that's all we have for today on the Big Blue Banter Podcast. We're hoping the Giants can break this third-round curse. Let this be the year where they find something valuable in the third round. I think it's possible. I like a lot of players that are going to be there at this, but I'm sure that's been the same in the past. So hopefully they can break this curse this year. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.